Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Genesis Amaris Kemp. And your bio is incredible. You're a visionary life coach, motivational speaker, author. You wrote a book called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, which I really want to talk about. Um, and then you go and say that you're a firecracker, mindset at, uh, hacker, and a force to be reckoned with. I am honored to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us, Genesis. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Mark. It's just a pleasure to share and hold space with another podcaster. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. I, I really enjoyed doing this project. I've been going for like about a year and a half now, and it's just, it's great. I've met so many cool people throughout this. Super cool. So just question for you, Mark. Uh, when did you start your podcast? I started it, uh, what was it, like February of two years ago or a year ago, something like that. Yeah, towards like the later half of COVID. Okay, same here. So I started November 2020. Okay, yeah. So I think you got a little bit of a lead on me on that one. Um, so on, on this show, we tend to focus on the personal journey, right? The from the ashes story, the Phoenix Rising story. Um, so in this first segment, we want to go through and talk about, you know, how did you become a force to be reckoned with? How did you become who you are today? Ooh, okay. So I had a lot of ashes that turned into beauty or my beauty and beast moment. So it all started for me back in high school. So I went through a depression and the depression came from me being a victim of bullying in high school. So there were like nine consecutive days where I did not go to school. I just did not feel like getting out of bed. Sometimes taking a bath was just hard. I just had the I didn't want to's and I just really didn't see the purpose and I'm not sure why I allowed the validations of other people to like contain me but of course when you're in high school and you want to fit in and there's peer pressure and etc and you don't really know who you are like you know what like your parents tell you you are and you have some some glimpse but then you're still going through identity crisis and just trying to really become that woman you were created to be um, it really rocked me, but it wasn't until my dad just really started to speak life into me and tell me, okay, this is who you are. This is who God says you are and et cetera. Cause I grew up in a religious and spiritual home and by day 10, that was like, okay, you need to snap out of it. And only cause I think my parents had received a letter like here, I live in the state. So if you don't go to school, like for more than like 10 days, like your parents could be like court ordered. Mm -hmm. So I knew like my parents did not play that, especially since I'm first generation American. My mom is West Indian, so Caribbean descent. And my dad is also Caribbean slash South American descent. So by that time when they got that, they're like, oh, no, 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 you're getting out of bed, whatever you need to do, you're going to go to school. So then I just, 
that was my rocking moment. And I would say the tip of the iceberg where I had to stop realizing that other people didn't define who I was and I define who I was and just getting out of that box. So it was just overcoming that imposter syndrome, really remaining steadfast and believing in myself. Because when you seek validation and appeasement from other people, then you're dying a little bit inside because you're trying to play into who they say you are and not necessarily who you want to be. So that was the first incident um, early on. And the reason why I say that is because everyone has a back end story. And it's so important that we go beyond the surface level with the individual, because I haven't always been the woman that I am today. Then the second part um, was in my adulthood, just going through corporate America. I worked in a male dominated industry for 12 years. I was in oil and gas and energy. So it's um, very male driven, um, older, Caucasian, white males. And me, I am melanated. I like to say chocolate drop because when I think about chocolate, it comes in all variations. And I've never met one person that says, oh, I'll just have that piece of that chocolate bar and I'll be satisfied. So that's why my book is called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. But I talk about the subtitle being from the pit to the palace because it's the trials that I went through, the tests that produced the testimony. It's the hell of a mess that produced my message. So that's the second part of my ashes story because if I was never tested and tried, I wouldn't be resilient. I wouldn't have the confidence and et cetera to help other people who are battling with microaggressions or diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging or some of the other things that they're faced with in the work front. So having a personal experience of dealing with depression, facing racism in a work in a work setting, also being challenged. It's like, I already knew who I was. I knew that I wasn't gonna go back to that dark place. And then the second part is like becoming married, married to my now husband. It took me a while to get in the groove because before that I was in a relationship with a narcissist. And you know, when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, they try to break you down once again. But I said, you know what? I went through the breakthrough I was broken, but I made it through, hence the word breakthrough. So that's a little avenue, different pieces of me. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. A fascinating story. Can you tell me, well, I guess let's go through each one, right? I have some questions around them. So with the childhood depression, I was really struck by what you said of your dad spoke life into you, right? It sounds like from his role as a father and from, you know, God and spirituality, can you say more about that of what helped kind of bring you out of that depressive place? What do you, what yeah. did he say to you? What did you take in? So I know my dad would say like, you are loved, like God created you to be a masterpiece. We would read scriptures together, him and my mom, cause they, they both had different ways of parenting. And then my dad would say, we didn't create you to be a failure. We created you to be a rock star or just different things. Sometimes he would play songs and the lyrics would minister to me and et cetera. And he definitely believed in going to church. So if you lived in this household, you were going to go to church and et cetera. And he was a big um, supporter for me, always has. And the fact that he's not here anymore with me um, definitely rocked me. And it took me back to, you know, the words that he instilled in me when I was younger. So whenever the roles got reversed and I became his caregiver, when he faced medical negligence in 2020, it really, you know, 
took me to a dark place and I didn't think that I was going to get out. But then I just kept hearing the words that he recited to me when I was a child. And that and that helped me because I did not want to go back to that depressive state. And um, just growing up. So sorry, it makes me teary a little bit just growing up. It, it was hard to like feel like you didn't matter or you didn't have a purpose. But I feel like everyone has endured that in some type of way, whether you're in depression or you face different um, challenges in your life where you're like, is this really me? Do I really have a place in this world and et cetera? And until you personally could come to the realization, then you're still going to be looking for that appeasement from other people. So does that answer your question, Mark? It does. Yeah. I can talk about how you can really be in that prison, like you said, of the imposter syndrome, not feeling like you fit in, that you belonged. And it sounds like your dad really was an anchor during that time. Um, did you have other communities? Did you have your church community or any teachers or, or friends? Or did it really come from the family first and foremost? So first and foremost, it came from the family. And then the second part would be um, just the church community, just going to church and just hearing the different sermons. And sometimes even though the sermon may not necessarily be about you, it felt like it was speaking to you. And I feel like um, that was like the Holy Spirit just letting me know he was still with me, even though I felt like, was God even real? And I questioned my faith, like, is this something fake or made up? But then as you go through it, then you realize that, you know, he's going to be sovereign and bringing you out of it. And it's just a mere bump in the road. Yeah. So at that point, you were saying you kind of got a sense of who you were, right? And I'm also hearing the fact that you were lovable, right? That there's a divine part of you, that you're out there to be a masterpiece, to be a rock star, right? Like you're getting all that great self-confidence, and then you go into the oil and gas industry and you talked about being challenged. What, what happened there? Like, it sounds like that was kind of hitting a wall of you have this idea of your own self-esteem and then it just gets like stamped down because of racism, quite frankly. Yeah. So when I entered oil and gas, I was very young. So I started actually when I was in high school. So it was my, my third job and I'll just put context around it. So my first job ever was real estate. I was a personal assistant to a real estate broker. Then I did that for like about four months until like the 0809. And we all know what happened during that period. Then that led me to going to work at a cancer center, which was just so eye-opening. And it really made me appreciate life because we take life for granted, but there's other people around the world or in a different situation where they're fighting for life. But it's the simplest things that we don't appreciate until you're hit with an illness. So I did that for another four months uh, until something else happened where the industry was rocked and, you know, the company that I was working for, the cancer center, we started to lose our patients to a bigger um, hospital setting that was new five stars and they had more equipment, which it made sense for someone battling an illness. They want the, the latest and greatest technology. Then after that, that's where I got into oil and gas. So I started at the bottom as an imaging clerk. Um, And it was challenging because I knew I was more than an imaging clerk and who wants to sit there and scan papers all day. So I did fall asleep at work. Um, (laughs) My my supervisor gave me grace and it wasn't until like later on that she got to know me that she started to confide in me. And she said, one of the reasons why I was gravitated to you was because I had a little sister and she would have been your age right about now. And she passed away early on. 
from medical negligence. And then I saw why she took to me and gravitated. But then I did my role to know that I didn't want to be an imaging clerk. So what did I do? I had to network and I had to learn about other parts of the organization. So then I went on to project management. Then, you know, after I put in the time, I became an HSC manager, which is health, safety and environmental. So there was a a lot of progression there at that company within only a short amount of time. I was there for four and a half years. And then what really rocked me was leaving that small company that was ran by two owners that were British and going over into a Fortune 500 space where I was kind of knocked down. That's where it happened, where even though I was leaving from a manager role, going into a Fortune 500, where I already knew about assets and about, you know, what was going on, because I was on the other end writing the reports for them. They're like, oh, we have an administrative assistant. So you can see going from a manager to an administrative assistant, it's like a big slap in the face where you begin to question, why can't I have like a professional role? Do you not see my resume? Do you not see my credentials and my credibility and et cetera? But then I had to learn in that moment that they knew you at the other company, but this is a new company that does not know you. So So you have to kind of just humble yourself. So I humbled myself in order to get my foot in the door. And then I began to navigate. So that's how, you know, I started to really be faced with the challenges of racism and et cetera, because everything on paper looked the same as someone who did not look like me, but we were not afforded the same opportunities and abilities. Does that answer your question, Mark? It does, yeah. And it's so so sad to hear, right, that you hit a, a glass ceiling there just because of your heritage and what, what you look like. It's incredibly shitty because it sounds like you had a ton to offer this company and they just kept you in that kind of like assistant position, you know, the, the, the powered under position. Absolutely. And then I'll get more into that because I eventually got out of that position, but I know we're coming up on a break. <laughs> Yeah, we still have a little bit of time to to chat through it. I'm curious what, to kind of weave it together, how did that influence your sense of self? Did you, did that, you know, life that your dad spoke to you, is was that still alive or did that start to get a little tarnished or, or what happened there on the kind of personal level? No, it was very much still alive because by by this point I was older, I had more maturity and et cetera. And I said, in order to get ahead, you you can't just wait for somebody to, you know, just say, here it is. You have to start by taking actions and showing that you are competent, you are confident and you are able as well as capable of getting things done. So then I began to look for stretch opportunities, which are opportunities that show that I could get my base job done, but I could still volunteer in this area. I could still network uh, outside of work, whether it is through a nonprofit organization that the company sponsors and et cetera. So I started to do that. I even went on to change my major from being a psychology major to getting um, in supply chain and logistics and technology, which is what I graduated with. So that's my degree. And I have double minors, one in purchasing and one in organizational leadership and supervision, because I wanted to have a degree that was versatile in case I wanted to leave oil and gas. I did have opportunities outside. So just being able to navigate that and connect with people outside of my dominant work role 
allowed me to break into my first professional role within this Fortune 500 company because there was a lady that I volunteered with that ended up retiring and she put my name in the bucket because she saw my work ethics inside the corporation, but also outside the corporation at this volunteer event. And I believe it was junior achievement if I'm if I'm thinking about it correctly. So that led me from going from being an administrative assistant to a raw material coordinator where I was now sourcing all of the raw materials that went into making PP, which stands for polypropylene, which is a form of plastics. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I love what you said there. And we're gonna talk about it more on the other side of the break. What I'm hearing is that, you know, you refuse to be a victim. Right. You knew that the system was unfair. You knew that you were getting discriminated against, but you then didn't let that get to you. Right. I mean, maybe because of your childhood and because you you had your dad and you had your faith on your side is that you were able to push through. Right. Push past, like you said, network with other people, get out of the kind of mire and try to find another avenue. I think that's incredibly commendable. You know, I mean, I see so many people and I want to say, you know, regardless of their race or gender. Right. Just just fall, just crumble right? When they're hit with some kind of adversity. And it sounds like you really had a way of powering through. Yeah, absolutely. Because we all have the ability to control our story and write our own narrative, but it's up to us to realize that the ball is in our court. So are we going to shoot for those three pointers or are we just going to dribble and not make a pass or play? Love it. So we're going to move to our first commercial break here. When we come back, I want to talk more about that, about, you know, taking responsibility for your life, right? And trying choosing to show up and play, like you said. Um, and I want to hear more about, you know, where you are now and what lessons you learned and how you decided to bring that into your work um, as, a, as a coach. So for all you listeners tuning in, um, thanks so much for joining us for this first segment. Uh, hang on and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-888. 
1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Genesis, and we're talking about, you know, taking responsibility for your life, blasting through the glass ceiling, right, overcoming discrimination and racism. In the oil and gas industry, you know, as a young black woman, I can't even imagine how awful that must have been and, and the kind of the culture that's there. And you mentioned how it inspired you to write a book. Um, called, you know, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. So can you say more about how your career progressed from there? Yeah, so after I was in the raw material coordinator role, um, managing the commodity PP, which is poly, um, polypropylene, around that time, my now husband had proposed to me. So we were in engaged and I, I'm just going to be frank and honest, I couldn't even plan my own wedding because I was so inundated with work and I was commuting a total of four hours a day to get from one city to another. So it took me like about two hours to get to work and two hours to get home. Didn't really get a huge pay increase. All I got was like, I think a thousand dollars bump in my salary, which doesn't really compensate for me wear and tear on my car, commuting and et cetera. So I did that role for 11 months. That's as long as I could hang in. And then I went in there um, before the holidays. So it was like a little bit before December. And I told my supervisor, I said, I can't do this role anymore. Like I need to go back to headquarters. Like, you know, my life structure is changing. I really need to have a balance between work and home life with my family. And He's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to see if there's something else. I said, okay, well, it's either going to be that or I'm just going to have to start making some decisions for myself. He's like, what does that mean? Does that, are you quitting? I said, no, I never said that. I said, you went to Clemson University, read between the lines. I know you're a smart cookie. And I kind of just left the um, conversation like that with the caveat or the carrot dangling was I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I want to go visit my family in the Caribbean. So when I get back, hopefully this is sorted out. Or if not, I already was prepared to like mentally walk away from this job and find another company that was more conducive. So um, I think it was like a week before I was leaving for vacation. He comes to me and tells me, we got a great opportunity for you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. What's the opportunity? He's like, there's a role that the company wants to create. They've never done anything like this before in the history of the company. But, and every time you hear a but, like it negates what you heard in the beginning, right? So I was like, oh my gosh, what now? But you have to interview for it. And I, To me, that was like the first red flag looking back, because if I'm already working for this company and by this point, I'm already working here, like going on five years. Why can't I just have a simple transfer to the organization? Why do I need to go and interview for it? Because I knew there were other people who came up in the ranks like me. And whenever they were given a new opportunity, they didn't necessarily have to go out and interview for it. So what's the difference with me? So I interviewed for it, didn't hear anything back. Then I think it was like two days before I was scheduled for um, vacation leave. 
They told me that I got the role. I was going to go back to headquarters, but it was in trade regulations and compliance. I knew nothing about trade regulations and compliance because in the beginning, Mark, I just told you my degree was in supply chain and logistics and technology with minors in purchasing and organizational leadership and supervision. So since this was a brand new role, there were no um, predecessors before me. So no information, like no SOPs, standard operating procedures or et cetera. So I literally had to build this position from the ground up based on the contingencies that they wanted in this role. So my new commodity now became PE, which is polyethylene. And I had three global distributors to manage. And I also had a freight forwarder. And there were certain things that needed to be done from a compliance standpoint in order to make sure that the role went seamlessly. So I had to learn, you know, external clients. I also had to learn vendor management freight forwarding and et cetera. The freight forwarding part was easy because I remember learning about freight forwarding when I was getting my degree. The challenge was trade regulations and dealing with different countries that had sanctions and different rules and regulations, policies and procedures. So you really had to be inept on it. Then, of course, weaving in law and the legalities that were involved, because I don't have a law degree. I don't have a law background. So I became dependent on other functions within different organizations that were inside the company so we could work together in order to get this project done. So I think that was a big stretch opportunity for me and I had to push myself and learn, but I wasn't going to quit because I felt like it was a challenge because, you know, sometimes they challenge you when they want to get you out the door. So you're either going to sink or you're going to float or you're going to swim. And I was like, I can't just float this role because now the government is involved because anytime trade regulations and compliance is there, the government is going to scrutinize and you definitely don't want to have any fines or penalties brought against the company because that could be another way you'll be getting yourself and walking out the door and me being the only black person and a woman at that, I definitely didn't want to give them the satisfaction or the benefit of the doubt. So that was the that was the final role and that role was challenging um because my supervisor was not very involved we changed we changed supervisor the first one was amazing but she was a, a hypo so a high potential high flyer which means that her career was just going 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 so we got a new supervisor who was very um laissez-faire hands-off didn't really understand the work that I was doing made a lot of assumptions I did feel like she was UP so like undercover prejudice because sometimes I would speak she wouldn't say good morning she wouldn't like you know come to our one-on-one meetings on times or if she did come she was rushing or etc and it wasn't until like I had a come to Jesus moment with her and I was like look we're, we need to work together regardless if we like each other or not. And at the end of the day, we're working for the same company and we have certain goals that we need to get done in order for this business to flourish. So then the book was born because it was a performance review. She, one, didn't even understand the scope of the work that I was doing. Two, she tried to undermine me and I had to call her out on something as well as the mail that she tried to send on a business trip with me who knew nothing about my project. But since he was a white male, 
he tried to represent the project and he was just crashing and burning in front of C-suite executives and et cetera. And I was like, first of all, this is my freaking Franken project and I'm not going to let somebody drag it through the mud. So I stepped in. Then at the end of the meeting, I got pulled aside by a direct report, meaning he was a manager, but he didn't have any, um, people under him. So he was like kind of another hypo. So he said, if you never took over the meeting, we would still be there. I appreciate your professionalism, your poise. You knew exactly what the client wanted and et cetera. And when my, when that got back to my supervisor, it took her three months to apologize to me and tell me good job. Really? Yeah. What was that meeting like? How did she bring it up three months later to say that she was sorry? Um, I I can't even remember right now because her and I were just hit or miss. Like we were just on the rocks all up until the point of my dad getting sick, um, where I threatened to take her to HR because she told me, I don't understand why you can't hire a nurse to take care of your dad. And everyone's coming back to the office. And I said, do you want to have this conversation now or do you want to have it in HR? Because we can do that because I had already went to HR before on her, but nothing was done. They said, "Okay, if it continues then we'll get a mediator for you. And, you know, all the jargon that they use. And I'm like, we're both women in a male dominated field. And whether you look like me or not, you're still a minority in a man's world. For sure. So the book was born. I literally pulled out my phone and I put the word chocolate drop. I typed it in, put chocolate drop in corporate America. Had no idea it would turn into a full blown book, but I was just so done, Mark. So done. It sounds like it. Yeah. And is the book, is it mainly a memoir or does it have like a dissection of corporate America? Like I'm so curious about the overarching culture. You know, you're throwing out a lot of like acronyms and jargon and and all this stuff. I get, yeah. I I just tell me more about the overarching structure and how it, works with diversity because it sounds like not not that well so um it's kind of in a sense like a memoir but it just talks about like how i ended up navigating my career in corporate america by taking ownership but i think what will really summarize it for you is if i read you the back of the book so you could kind of get a full synopsis of it and there are two questions that i start off with mark so the first question, and you could think about this in your in your life personally and professionally. So it says, what challenges in the workplace have you encountered that left you feeling as if you were mistreated? That's question number one. Question two on the back says, have others who were unqualified seemingly pass you by in the ranks? In our daily lives, we are all faced with various trials, whether in the workforce or at home. However, when treated unfairly, it takes courage to stand and fight for what's right. No matter your race, nationality, ethnicity, or background, you can rise to be the game changer. When you use the power of your voice, you shake the atmosphere and cause a domino effect because others will choose to either follow suit or stand in solidarity. On the pages of Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, Genesis has chosen to speak up for not only minorities, but also anyone who has been slighted on the job in any way. From her personal testimony, you will learn how speaking up brought awareness so that long-lasting change could be made. We do not win by remaining silent, 
overlooking injustice and continuing to practice poor judgment. We win by standing together, engaging in those difficult conversations, which now I have remixed it and called them courageous conversations since the book has been out and helping one another. Let's work together to create change for future generations to come. So that's the back of the book. And I put all of that because if you think about the name of the book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, some people say, oh, it's controversial. But if you really look at the cover, Mark, what do you see on the cover of the book? Yeah, those are the chocolate drops, right? There's two people of color on there. Yeah. Like, see? Yeah. But there's also a world in the background letting people know these issues don't just happen in, in America. They happen worldwide. Mm-hmm. There's people from various industries. So we have construction, medical, mm-hmm. architect, business, and et cetera. So there's the diversity, the equity, and the inclusion because there's two people of color, but there's also an Asian, a Hispanic, a white, and et cetera. And then the subtitle from the pit to the palace, Mm -hmm. because sometimes people hear the name of the book and they shy away from it. But if you really think about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, what is it? What does it mean? What does it look like? And et cetera. It's beyond just having the words. It's beyond just checking the box. It's about all of us coming together and assimilating and working together in order for us to get the mission and the movement across. Yeah, very well said. So I, I got a question for you, right? So I don't know the corporate world as well, right? I'm, a, I'm working private practice as a psychotherapist. I work with myself and my two cats. You know, I they they love me. Um, you know, I'm the employee of the month every month because it's, it's just me. Uh, so I, I'm curious from your opinion, right? So this is something you really dive into. The past couple of years, we went through like the BLM movement. This diversity, equity, inclusion stuff has been top of, you know, the radar for call like what, two or three years, which is critical. But I'm really wondering from your perspective, has it moved the needle? Um, if it has, how far? If not, how far do we have to go? Like, where, where do you see it now? Because I think America went through or is going through like a really big upheaval around a lot of these issues. I would say the needle has partially moved and there's still work that needs to be done. I feel like there were some corporations and the corporation I came from were jumping on the bandwagon because they had obligations to uphold to their shareholders and, you know, they wanted to keep their stocks up and et cetera. But whenever you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, like let's make it make sense. Yes, you could hire certain people, but are you hiring them to be a token and a placeholder so you could show that your metrics are there for those key performance indicators? And if you do hire them, what does their succession plan look like? Are they getting promoted at the same rate as someone who is non-melanated or not a minority? Okay, what type of organizations are you supporting? Are you supporting organizations within um, diversity and BIPOC? pocket? Or are you just doing it as a ploy to just really save face? Then another way that I could think about it, like I mentioned, I am first generation American with West Indian and South American parents. But then when I look at my nieces and nephews, two of them are half white, which are my sister's kids. Two of them are half Indian, my brother's kids. 
One of them is truly African-American. Her mother is from Africa. And I think about the diversity in my family. I was like, okay, this is why I do what I do because these kids are now going to be the future. And if they see the crap that's taking place in the world now and they don't see any changes or any strides, then can we really say that we are making progress because no, you can't say that because if the if they're not seeing any progression, they're gonna be still rattled at it. So when I think about it from a corporate standpoint, like put your money where your mouth is. If if people are still leaving via um, resignation where they're resigning, or if they're leaving because the company policies and procedures aren't there, then let that be your metric and your driving factor to say, yes, even though we've made, we made strides there, is it just to put on paper or are our employees really understanding the movement that we're trying to make? Get out there and say something in front of the media and say, we're not perfect in this area, but we are going to bring in subject matter experts and we're going to have training courses. We're going to um, have our employees uphold certain standards. And it comes from the top down, but then also from the bottom up. You have to meet each other where you're at and really engage in these conversations to really ask yourself, am I doing what I can be doing in this space? And is there something missing? Because there's always going to be gaps and nothing is ever going to be perfect. But in order to walk it out, we have to take these movements into consideration. The BLM, Black Lives Matter. Then after that was the Stop Asian Hate, where they were blaming the Asians for the pandemic and et cetera. And we have to look at where are the inefficiencies and how do we close the gap and bring it around full circle in order for synergies to take place. And sometimes it's having those difficult conversations. It's having those courageous conversations in order to get the wheels turning. I think that's great. That's a really good message to, you know, the corporations out there. So what I'm hearing is take a really holistic view on this, right? To talk to your employees, to change leadership, to really take it seriously and do ongoing work rather than just swapping out some of the photos on the website, right? To make it look a little bit more diverse. It takes a real, you know, deep dive into this. You know, we're going to move to our next commercial break here. When we come back, I want to Talk directly to the listeners. If there's somebody out there that needs to amplify their voice, what you recommend to them, or if there's a leader that wants to go into these issues, or maybe even that's afraid of talking about these issues, because I know that's also possible, um, what advice you would give them. So if you're tuning in, uh, thanks so much for you know following the podcast, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. 
This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. So in our final segment here, we'd like to talk directly to the listeners. And Genesis, it sounds like your book is written for people, like you said, of minority status, but also people that have felt, you know, um, slighted or that have felt that the workplace has not been fair or that have felt squashed down, that want to get their voice amplified, right? That want to speak up and have these courageous conversations. If that person was listening here, what would you say to them directly? So I would definitely encourage them that you have went through various trials and tribulations for a reason. And without going through the test, you wouldn't have the testimony. Without going through a mess, you wouldn't have the message that you curate. So how much is it costing you by remaining silent? Because being silent is just as bad as not speaking up and not having, you know, the full knowledge and scope of a situation. So each one of us has a voice that is powerful, but it is up to us to ignite our voice in order for change to come. And when you think about yourself, this is personal. Each one of us was created on purpose for a purpose. So understand who you are. How are you showing up? How are you remaining true to your morals, your values, your characteristics? And what type of imprint and impact do you want to leave in the world? Because when you start to really go within yourself and ask yourself those hard questions, then you can materialize and manifest how you show up day to day. Do you have a sense of an action that somebody could take to help them, I guess, find the courage, right, to, to speak up and say something? Yeah. So um, one one step that I would say is if you're in a corporate setting and you're having trouble with speaking up, I would encourage you to look into Toastmasters because that's one organization where you could start to gain your confidence and you could um, – partner and connect with other people who are aspiring to do something similar. They give you prompts there. They time you on your speaking. They help you work on your tone of voice, your diction, speed, and et cetera. That's a good way. And then the second thing would be doing a mirror exercise. It's some of the things I do with my visionary um, clients that I coach is start to get in front of the mirror and recite your affirmations as well as your gratitude, because then the more you speak it, the more you're going to start to believe it. And as you look yourself back, you could pay attention to how you're speaking, your body language, which are those nonverbal 
uh, cues and et cetera. And then also doing a power pose whenever you're reciting your affirmations, because then it starts to get you to really begin to think at a higher level. Some people say a higher energy, a higher vibration is what other people have told me, but you have to start to envision yourself the way you want to show up. And what better way to do it than get in front of a mirror and look yourself hard on. And it really shows you that reflection. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is practicing speaking skills, but also building self-confidence because I, I think it's so true is that people in these positions, they've been, they've been beaten down. You know, they, they are in that victim mentality we talked about earlier. They, you know, how they struggle to feel like their voice is going to go anywhere, you know? And I think it does take quite a bit of um, force and I think charisma to punch through that glass ceiling, right. And to get to, to get to be heard. It's unfortunate, but I think, I think it's true. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about having that accountability for yourself and just really um, becoming the own narrator of your story to walk out and exuberate that confidence. Yeah. So I got another question for you, because this is what I hear from some of the other podcast guests or some of the clients that I work with is that as leaders, they know that DEI is important but they're afraid to bring it up. They don't quite know how to talk about it. They don't know how to incorporate it. They don't, they're either afraid that it's going to hit like a landmine and just become a whole horrible situation, or they're afraid that they're going to say something wrong, you know, and make it worse. So what would you recommend for somebody who is in a leadership position, whether they be, you know, of minority status or not, um, to start to bring it more into the day-to-day of their team dynamic? So within a leadership position, I would just encourage you to remain authentic and true to yourself. And if you're having a hard time talking about this subject, which can be a difficult subject as well as a courageous subject, just put a disclaimer out there and say, I I do not understand where you're coming from because I don't look like you. But what I am here to say is that I am going to actively listen to your concerns and I'm going to make it my mission to make some changes personally as well as professionally. But what I need from you is tell me how how I should do this. Like, what are some of the things that you want to see? Because then that begins to challenge the leader. Where can we improve as an organization? So survey the people that are working for you because they're the ones at the bottom doing the work. And then how can we mesh our ideas together in order to make a inclusive working environment where all of us are coming together to be seen and heard. And then another thing, if there are any suggestions you have, any trainings you recommend or et cetera, please come to me, have an open door policy where those individuals feel like they could voice what some of those suggestions are without being reprimanded or scolded. And then another thing, start to do like, you know, performance assessments, whether you have your individuals within the corporation, evaluate the leadership in an anonymous way. There's Clifton Strengths for Strength Finders. There's Gallup Studies. There's so many different resources out there that other organizations who are doing it right are using that can help. So always look at what your competitors are doing and see if you could bring that within your ecosystem in order to advance. And don't be afraid to say that I failed and missed the mark because on the other side of failure is success. 
Yeah. So I think that last point is so critical just to underline that of as a leader, be willing to fail, be willing to be wrong, be willing to be challenged, right? To kind of have some uglier parts of your personality displayed sometimes. But I think what you're saying is completely accurate is that that builds psychological safety, that builds that connection over the team. If people know they can give feedback and, and be heard. Um, you know, you mentioned that there's corporations that are doing it right. I'm curious if you have any examples um, of a corporation that has been doing it right and some of the things that, that they've done. Are there What role models are there out there for this? So I know whenever I looked at a survey regarding some of the companies that were ranked high in the DEI space, Google came up as one based on some of the initiatives that they were taking, as well as the feedback that the employees left on reviews. I think Deloitte was one. And then I can't remember the other organizations because I made a list of them, but I don't have them on the top of my head. But I think I know it was Google for sure, Deloitte. I think one was Accenture. So a lot of them within the tech space and the tech space, you know, they're not necessarily as conservative as oil and gas and energy. And there's more um, younger people that are in leadership and management roles. So they're very um, keen on what's taking place and et cetera. Yeah. Do you have an example of what Google or Deloitte does? that really sets them apart? So one, um, I have a friend that works at Google and she said working for Google, like when she started working there, she didn't necessarily like the role, but they gave her the ability to um, say what role she was interested in. So they listened to their employees. They also challenged their employees. They offer equity, which um, you could get equity within the company and et cetera. They have different um, policies and procedures where they have, um, what was it? They have like certain number of perks that they get like from the healthcare side if they need to talk about mental health or if they need to, you know, take a break or take a nap or different stuff like that, which is also helping with that mental clarity as well as stability. Because if you're tackling the mental, the mental part, then you're going to physically be able to give more optimally and et cetera. Those are just some that I could just um, call off off the top of my head. Yeah, those are some great examples. And I think it's, again, that holistic view of not just focusing on DEI, but also focusing on your employees' you know, well-being and their lifestyle and the fact that they have access to mental health treatment or that they can take breaks or take naps or whatever it is. I, I think it really is the full package to make an environment feel, feel safe and, and feel inclusive. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I'm trying to think of like another area that where this comes off, you know, you, you mentioned that you you have a kid on the way, right? And I'm wondering like what you might hope to instill in that next generation, because, you know, when I look at the, you know, generations, the individuals, like they, they are, they are more diverse, right? They do have a lot more flexibility and fluidity, especially around gender and sexuality than even me as a millennial has. Um, they're, they're really vocal about a lot of these issues. And I'm curious, like what you see kind of as the up and coming next generation. Where, where does this look like in, you know, 10, 15 years, for instance? 
So I could talk about maybe five years from now because we just never know what the future holds. And just me walking into motherhood, I'm going to let my child know that it's okay to be who you want to be. And I'm going to instill who do you want to be when you grow up? Not what, because I hate that question. And so many times growing up in high school, they always ask like the younger people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I feel like that what is what is trying to define an individual or confine them to a certain body. So if I know who you want to be, then we could reverse engineer it and begin to help you take those actions and strides in order for that manifestation and the vision to come into reality. And that's why I like to say I'm a visionary coach, because you have to envision where you want to go. And without a vision, you're going to you know, perish. Another thing that I want to instill in the younger generation is be afraid to step outside of the box and step outside of the norm and take risks. Because if you think about all the successful people out there, some of them had non-traditional paths. They didn't necessarily follow the crowd. If they did follow the crowd, they will still be in the crowd. And we wouldn't have Tesla, SpaceX, Apple, and et cetera. Those are some of the one percenters who's, who had a brilliant idea and they chose to innovate, even though people thought they were crazy, they laughed and they hit rock bottom, but they got back up. So even though you fall and you may fail, get back up and press forward because the finish line is just up ahead. That's another thing I want to I want to instill in the next generation and then the other thing is be afraid to challenge the status quo don't worry about them saying cancel culture they're saying that because they want everyone to assimilate and jump on the bandwagon but if you're that one person that is outside of the box and you embrace the fact that you're multifaceted and multi-dimensional like myself then you're definitely going to soar to higher higher heights and then always find a mentor a coach or a trusted person having questions or seeking professional help and guidance is not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength because you realize that you can't do it by yourself and your zone of genius may very well need to partner with someone else's zone of genius in order for synergies and collaborations to take place for you to go from surviving to thriving and flourishing that's great. Yeah, very inspiring. So as we're wrapping up here, can you say a little bit about what you're up to now, where people can find you online, um, and what you offer out there in the world? So um, to find out more about what I'm doing, you could head to my website, which is genesisamariskemp.net. There are multiple tabs there. There's a book tab. You'll also get the first chapter of my book for free. I have a radio tab because I do run an internet-based radio show that I do monthly that has anywhere from 12 to 14 million listeners whenever I am on air. I'm part of the WBNN-ONE dynasty. Um, so check that out. And then I have some other freebies for those of you that are involved in the health and wellness space. One is a health assessment, because what good is having wealth if you don't have quality of health, uh, quality of health to enjoy the wealth that you have acquired. And then the second one is a health product, which is the Kiani Sunrise. So check out those things that I'm doing in the health and wellness space, as well as merchandise and et cetera. But all of that is on my website. You'll also see the backlinks to my social media platforms. I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but I like to give out one area where you can find all of this info. So it's not all over the place. So once again, it's genesisamariskemp.net. 
For those of you that are interested in being coached by me from a professional standpoint, learning how I navigated my corporate career or just wanting to go through some mindset issues that you have, limiting beliefs or et cetera, you could email me to find out more info, how we could work together, which is genesisomariskemp at gmail.com. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. There's a lot of ways people can interact with you. Um, I really hope that they take you up on that and they learn more about all of the fantastic things you're doing in the world. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps to get the message out and amplify voices of people that are out there doing incredible, amazing stuff. So thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.